This is the Snug Podcast. In this episode, developing respect. So, what would your wishes be in the event of an emergency if you couldn't communicate or couldn't express yourself, such as in a delirium? A person centered process which takes into account people's wishes. What we're doing is filling out the form electronically and this will be transformational for patient care. Hi Snug members and anyone else who happens to have joined us. I'm glad to say there will be no election talk here. It is a total nonsense and it is endlessly repeated. I'm Andrew McElhinney, GP and member of the Scottish National Users Group. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks for the comments about our first few editions and giving us some ideas for subjects to cover in future episodes. Since our episode on reprovisioning of GP IT systems, there has been a development. Red alert. All hands stand at battle stations. A delay has been announced by NSS, unfortunately, so the new GP systems will not be available until 2021. We'd be interested in any comments you've got about this. You can tweet us or post on our Facebook site. Snug is all about the various ways in which IT can support and improve every aspect of healthcare for people in Scotland. In this episode, we're going to look at a new approach to encourage people to consider how they wish to be treated in the event of a medical emergency and how this will be supported electronically by the new NES Scottish Digital Service. Here's a quote from Bryant H. McGill. One of the most sincere forms of respect is actually listening to what another person has to say. We spoke to Dr. Lindsay Fielden in Forth Valley Royal Hospital to find out more about the respect process. So, Lindsay, thank you very much for speaking to us today. Hello, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm a consultant in older people's care in Forth Valley Royal Hospital and I also cover the community hospital and outpatient clinics. Would you be able to give us an idea what the respect process is all about and also how long you've been involved with it? We started looking into the use of the respect process in Forth Valley in 2017. The reason that I was attracted to utilising the respect process was it is a person-centred process which takes into account people's wishes in the event of an emergency situation where they're unable to maybe express their wishes or desires at that time. Traditionally in across Scotland we've had DNA CPR documentation which is really about whether you would wish CPR which is cardio pulmonary resuscitation or not whereas it really should be considered as part of an overall treatment plan. So the respect process could be for anyone, potentially, but it has most relevance for people who have you know, chronic conditions, life-limiting conditions, and it's very helpful in a situation, potentially, where someone might go on to have deteriorating memory, such as dementia, hmm. and also in situations where someone needs an advocate in, a, in an emergency situation, and scenarios such as you know, learning disability or people who are quite vulnerable with mental health. The process is, it starts off with an identification, perhaps a prompt either from a person or a patient or a family member or a member of the the clinical team or even a, a care team member and it is often prompted by a situation where they've either had a new diagnosis 
or they've had a, an acute illness whereby there's a decision made that actually we need to have a further discussion about what we would do if this happened again. So what would your wishes be in the event of an emergency if you couldn't communicate or couldn't express yourself, such as in a delirium? And the reason why that's important is because if if we don't put those plans in place, then often we're just making a presumption that we're doing the right thing in the best interest of the patient, which is always our aim. But we may be in a situation where we're either not giving as much treatment as the patient would have liked or we're actually giving too much treatment and, the, and, and doing things that they would not wish. And so having a summary plan of what their wishes would be uh, is extremely helpful, not only for the person themselves, but also carers and family who may be put in a situation whereby if their loved one is very ill, some of these decisions are being transferred on to them. And they actually sometimes suggest that they've never had these conversations and it can be very difficult for them and also almost a burden for some mm. people. And the types of treatments I'm referring to, obviously CPR is a part of that. Uh, and but we're also talking about other treatments such as, you know, even hospital admission, particularly for those that are very ill or might be nearing the end of life, where actually their desire is to be at home and they don't want to come into hospital. And obviously we can't always support someone's wishes if that is not a feasible or practical solution but at least we know um, what they want and we can even if they have to come into hospital we try and get them back out as quickly as possible. Other situations or scenarios or examples of that could be renal replacement therapy otherwise known as dialysis where people have deteriorating kidney function, ITU admission, IV antibiotics. So there's quite a an extensive list and it's very much tailored to that person's individual needs mm. and, and illness and, and what are the anticipated uh, emergencies in the future. Of course we can't always predict every emergency but um, I think having the conversation earlier can be a good lead into a scenario that arises ahead. So we're kind of seeing a move towards patient-centred care across medicine. I think that's probably going to need good communication skills, maybe better communication skills you yes. know, than we have at the moment, and also maybe a willingness to have difficult and challenging conversations. Yes. And yeah. what do you think is the best way to approach yeah. that? So I think, I think it's always difficult uh, approaching these conversations with people. The subject matter can be quite sensitive and difficult. Hmm. Um, and there are situations where the, the person makes that very easy for you because they have quite clear, defined wishes and beliefs. However, there are other situations where where you think the person's at and where they actually are in terms of their disease trajectory are quite wide, wide apart. And so, of course, that requires very advanced communication skills and experience. I don't think you necessarily need to be an experienced clinician or consultant to have these conversations. I think it's the ability to weigh up the benefits and risks of various treatments and come to a shared decision with your patient. And I think that's really important because actually what we're talking about is realistic treatment choices. We're not suggesting that people have a sort of tick list of of what they would wish to happen particularly for those who have life-limiting conditions. What I find is that more often than not, patients perhaps want less than than we imagine they would wish. And so 
overall the experience when the patient goes through it is is one of mutual trust and um, I think people's satisfaction goes up and we've actually got evidence to show satisfaction with patients, carers and staff if we have these conversations. One of the main barriers can be the time that you have to invest in having the conversation. Well that's one of the things I was wondering how long one of these conversations would take you normally. Yeah and I think it depends on there are two main factors. I'm hospital based largely so a lot of the scenarios that I encounter are when there's a sort of acute need for a decision to be made. So the patient's very unwell and we are having to make these decisions quite quickly. And ordinarily, you would want to have them with someone you know, for example, your own GP. However, if there's an acute situation, there is a need to to sit down and have that conversation. It may be that you have to have a decision at that moment, such as the, as the urgency. Uh, and in such situations, you do have to invest the time. There's no doubt about that. It, you know, I can't imagine having a conversation any less than sort of 30 minutes. Often 30 we're spending minutes. up to sometimes an hour with patients and yeah. not everybody has that time. But what I would say is it's time well invested. When there's less urgency, these are conversations that can be more iterative where, you know, you we open the door yeah. of, you know, let's start a conversation. We provide them with some Which more information. Which is probably the way GPs tend to approach it. That's right. And I think that, that, you know, it depends on the care setting, how how you do approach it. And I think, you know, many people would say that these are conversations that should be taken forward by the GP. I suppose my, what I would say is that it's good if we can all contribute to these conversations. So, for example, I'm a specialist in Parkinson's and I, I, I get to know my patients very well. And I, I feel that I'm in a good position to take forward these types of discussions in conjunction with the GP and the patient and their family. Um, but I, I understand that in the community setting, a lot of patients have you know, wonderful relationships with their GP. They'd much rather have these conversations with people that they do know. The difficulty we can have is sometimes if they are at home and they're not wanting to think about that time when they get worse, yes. and actually you pitch up and start trying to talk about this, yeah. they sometimes don't want that to go there. That can be a bolt out of the blue, yeah. And that's it. You, you hear people even using words... You know, they recognise they might have a life-limiting condition, but you, when you go to have the mm. conversations, they're just not ready. Mm. And sometimes you actually, it's really hard to progress these conversations. Mm. So I think a step-by-step approach is good if you have the time to do that. I think in hospital, we have, we're sometimes looking after patients for weeks. And so I think mm. we feel in a good position to have the, the discussions once we've built up the trust and the relationship. Yeah. But... Um, it's it's not for everybody. Some people are still not keen to have the conversation. So there there does need to be more of a cultural shift in society. I think in terms of increasing the awareness of yeah. it. And I know there's been a few videos made recently to try and increase the awareness of it, probably for clinicians and patients as well. Yeah, and we can link to those. Yeah, um, absolutely. In, yes, in the we, we made a video. Um, I think it was it was great because we included patients and carers in yeah. the making. And that's of the video. quite powerful whenever yeah. you hear patients talking yeah. about it. I mean, one of the things I was planning to do is to prepare patients for discussion made by writing to them first or sending them information and say, look, we'd like to have this discussion, but actually not just pitch it on them yeah. out of the blue, more yeah. or less. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's more challenging in primary care. We're looking after people who've had an acute crisis. So, you know, but we do know that when people leave the hospital, they often feel differently about what they've discussed. Their minds. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. So, but yeah, we usually open up the conversation with you know, with some supportive written information for them.
Oh no, I, th- I think like all of these anticipatory care plan ideas, the more you can explain and, and prepare people in advance, yeah. you know, the better. Because I mean, there's a lot of confusion, I would say, even about DNA CPR, what it means, yeah. and people get confused about what the implications are. Yes. So we've talked a bit about anticipatory care plans, there's respect, but then we've got the key information summary, you know, which GPs and, and people listening might be more used to doing because it links with the GP systems. So do you see that as a problem, that there's multiple ways of sometimes recording people's wishes? Uh, so we, we've done a huge analysis of the respect process, and actually when we were looking at that, we realised that there are many different electronic systems that need to be updated you know, sort of five or six plus for everybody to know about this kind of anticipatory care planning information and other other types of information as well. One of the things that's obviously well established within primary care's key information summary, which is something that, that we can, most of us can, can view, but not edit, but not everybody can, can view it. So what you have there is really key conversations taking place that cannot be accessed by everybody. And the other thing is they can't be updated by everyone. So I think the question is, you know, how can we make this better? What is the ideal situation? I think the majority of people would agree that they would want that care professional to know their wishes at that at the point of contact. Mm-hmm. So we have a solution for that, which is coming. Well, that's right. That was where I was heading, really, is, is to get your thoughts on the new NES digital service and the respect application that I know you're involved in piloting, or will be. Yeah, so we've been uh, working collaboratively with the NES team, uh, the digital service, uh, on the respect application as one of the first main projects. And the timing couldn't have been better because we'd came to this point in the project where, you know, we've got a person-centred document and process but one of the main barriers to that was the ability to actually edit the document in a, a way that would meet the needs of the clinicians who are under you know, a lot of time pressure and the ability to share that information. So uh, Alistair Han and the team at NDS sort of almost appeared at the point where we were having this issue and Juliet Spiller from the Respect National team sort of linked us both together and we are now working on the respect application, which is an electronic form, which will be part of the national digital platform. So we are planning the electronic pilot. We're starting that in early 2020. What we're doing is filling out the form electronically, and this will be transformational for patient care. We'll be able to view this in our hospital systems and primary care systems, but the, the future is even wider Scottish ambulance service, care homes, mm. patients themselves. So, you know, it's highly innovative work. So th- making that available at the point of need. That's you know, right, accessible. yeah. And I think the key thing here is, you know, that is a complementary part of what we're doing. The key thing is about the identification of people in need of this conversation mm. and actually the sensitivity and communication skills that are required to take these decisions forward is, can be a complex process to navigate, particularly with people with multiple conditions, perhaps multiple family members, vulnerable individuals. So that really is a, a skill in itself. And one of the main parts of our work is really to enable the clinicians that are taking these conversations forward to have the skills and make this available to more people. 
yeah, and seeing the videos and the examples was really helpful. I yeah. think, you know, I know there's a lot of good material available yes, to help people. Yes, we've had a lot of positive feedback so far, which is encouraging. Well, listen, thank you very much thank um, you. for your time. Um, I know you've spent a, last, a vast amount of time and energy on this project. Yeah. So a lot of respect to you. <laughs> thank you very much. So respect is a summary plan for emergency care and treatment and the patient's wishes are currently recorded on a purple coloured paper form. Now this will be supplemented by and maybe eventually replaced by this electronic version so that it will become available when needed to out of hours, staff, ambulance, crews or whenever somebody is brought to the emergency department. Respect will be the first application developed for the new NES digital service that was mentioned at the end by Lindsay. Dr Paul Miller is a GP and also one of the clinical leads for the NDS and I spoke to him by phone recently to get some more background. Now, unfortunately we had major difficulties getting the call recorded but I think it's just about possible to hear what Paul was saying. You might need to turn the volume up. Paul starts off by describing the background to the NDS and how it will provide a single source of trusted data which could potentially be used by any Scottish system in the future to support clinical or social care. We've been focusing quite a lot recently on the respect application as being the first thing that we're working on. But are, are there other examples in the pipeline that you're working on? Principally, most of my time we've been taking up with the respect is what we work on this afternoon. And from there, really, what we intend to do is branch out into kind of wider, broader, just care planning type data. Um, one of the values of that using respect as a, as a starting point for that is that a lot of the data that they collect is reusable in other places. For example, resuscitation data or list of patients' emergency contacts. And these things often trans- transfer quite easily into other uh, anticipatory care plans, which may uh, themselves have additional data elements, such as the data information elements you've seen in the information summary, for example. So, so the intention is really to start with and scope into additional anticipatory care plan requirements such as the information summary uh, and emergency care summary and as we do that and accumulate more data in the platform that data then becomes reusable for other applications and other purposes Great and I, I know I know you're, you're interested in the models and the clinical knowledge manager I was just wondering is, is, is clinical knowledge manager something that would be of interest to SNUG members? 
Yes, uh, ultimately, we're trying to encourage people to contribute to the development of the, what we call the architects, the templates, which is fundamentally the content, if you like, that the uh, clinical data repository will have, have on it. Uh, and where people um, and uh, communities of um, people providing care have a specific information requirement, we want them to become involved in helping to design the, the templates, the data definitions, if you like, for that particular purpose. So, so over time, I would expect we'll be building uh, a community of interest uh, among uh, uh, the practitioners and other primary care people to uh, contribute to that modelling approach. I think um, it's, it's something that probably needs a little bit of help with the teaching and a bit of background, which is hard to do in a 10 minute, 10 minute podcast. However, we have the material, um, some material on blogs elsewhere explaining how that model of content works um, and you can of course go to clinical knowledge manager and set up an account just now and start having a look around what content is there. I will uh, in the new year we intend to run a tutorial either half day or day for people to try to introduce them to the concepts of um, EHR and clinical modelling uh, and maybe some of the sub-members who are interested in that could get the opportunity to attend that. No, that'd be great. Um, and you, you, the address for your blog, is it on NDP? Yes, it's the NES uh, digital blog. I think the, the NES um, digital service website is used for a refresh at some point in the near future. So the address may change, but I'm sure you can track it down just by, by Googling for um, NES digital service. Great. I know that's fantastic. Well, listen, thanks a million for um, <laughs> sticking with it in spite of the technical problems. <laughs> But um, yeah, no, we look forward to working with the respect application because I know that's close to going into pilot. Yes, I'll have to admit, I always want to do and get the things I need to do today. But you'll regret it further towards pilot. Okay, I'd better let you go. Thanks a million for your time. Okay, very much. Speak to you later. Thanks, bye bye. Okay, I know it wasn't very easy to hear that and I assure you the NDS is not on a lunar module somewhere. If you'd like me to ask Paul to come on for a longer interview, or even a short one that you can hear, please let us know. In the meantime, that's it for this edition. Hope you've learnt a bit about SPECT and the NES Digital Service. The next episode of the podcast will deal with what Snug wants for Christmas. And also, we're going to hear a bit about Spire. In the meantime, I'm emigrating to Fredonia. Bye. For Fredonia! 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 The last man nearly ruined this place. He didn't know what to do with it. If you think this country's bad off, no, just wait till I get through with it.